God, thank you so much for uh, today, and thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for what we'll be confronted with today. Uh, in today's passage, Lord, we'll talk about what it means to come back to you, our Heavenly Father. And so I pray that that has deep meaning in our lives today. Uh, I pray for Strider, that you would give him the words that you would put on his heart. I pray that he would allow uh, your word to penetrate our hearts and bring us closer to you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Tim. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Yes? Merry Christmas. Can you believe it's 11 days until Christmas Eve? That just seems wild to me. After the year we've had, I am so thankful that uh, 2020 is almost over. And uh, in 11 days, we get to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, here together. Thank you uh, just for preserving and protecting us, Father. Hey, if you've, um, if you've been with us this year, then you know that we've been walking through the book of Genesis together. And last week, we were uh, reading through a text and reading about a reunion that happened between a group of brothers. Um, and uh, the thing that we learned is that uh, when it comes to the gospel, when we know and experience and learn the gospel, we must tell it. Like a, like a meal at a restaurant that we could not believe that we just ate, we must go and share this same food with others. And this week, as our text ended, with the brothers being sent back to go get the father, their father, this week we're talking about another reunion. And it's a reunion between a father and a son. And I don't know about you, but uh, it seems like uh, during this time of year, every year on my timeline, uh, pop-up reunion videos. And uh, I've got one for you this morning. It's a couple years old, but I think you'll enjoy it. Check this out. Okay. Time, man. Uh, last time I, I was here at Clemson, talked to Coach Sweeney, left about three days later. You have since come to school as a freshman. Glad you're working hard. I know you're uh, making some good friends on your team. You think I'm in Afghanistan right now? I'm here to surprise you, man. You're out on the field right now. Hopefully you're surprised. I know you think you, you know more uh, about the surprise than we do, but you're lost, man. I love you, man. I'm proud of you. Thanks to all the coaching staff and all your teammates. Hey, Hey, 
thank you, Clemson, for making this happen. We appreciate it. I know my wife appreciates it. All my family appreciates it. So thank you, guys. There's just something about seeing a father and a son reunited that just stirs emotion in us. I mean, you can't watch this video without having some sort of emotional reaction, whether that's a smile or whether that's tears or whether that's a cringe or whether you're averting your eyes. That video reminds us of this truth, that you and I, every single one of us, long for a father's love. And whether you are a Clemson football fan or not, I think we can all agree on one thing. Aren't you glad the kid didn't tackle his dad, take off his shoe, and throw it down the field? <laughs> Too soon? Sorry. Go Gators. This morning, this morning, we're talking about a reunion between a father and a son, and it's been 22 years in the making. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 46. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we have uh, the words up on the screen and would love to invite you to follow along with us. Genesis Chapter 46, Father and a Son Reunion. If you remember at the end of our text last, last week, Pharaoh sends uh, wagons back with Joseph's brothers to go get their father. And the brothers come back and say, our brother has pre prepared a place for us in Egypt, and now we're bringing you to see your son that you've been separated with for so long. And Genesis 46 picks up the rest of the story. Verse 1, so Israel, that's Jacob, the dad, set out with all that was his, everything he owns, every possession, every family member, no safety nets leaving, uh, set up behind him, everything that he has. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. He comes to Beersheba, the southernmost point of this land that God has promised both Jacob and his fathers before him and his sons after him and the nation that would come from his sons. He's promised them this land and Beersheba is the southernmost point of it. It's the place where Jacob grew up. It's the place where he lived with his dad, Isaac. And it's the point of no return. Imagine if you were going to take a trip from Florida to Cuba, get down to Key West and you get to the southernmost point of the United States and you put your foot in the water. That is the point of no return. That is Beersheba. And he gets to this place, and the circumstances of the promise that God has given him look different from the way he imagined it. God has said, I will give you this land. I will prosper you. I make you this promise. And there's a famine going on. And Jacob, even with the return of his sons, saying, Dad, Joseph has prepared a place for us in Egypt. Even with all of that happening, Jacob is not quite sure that this is God's will. And so he stops in Beersheba, the last place, the point of no return. And in verse 1, it says he offers sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Translation, God, I want to hear from you. I want to talk to you. I want to confirm that this is your plan for my life. I don't want to set one foot outside of your will. I want to walk with you. I want to be aligned with you. I want to be obedient to you because you have been faithful and you've made me a promise and you've given me this place. And I don't want to depart from this just because the circumstances don't match up. Just because things are beginning to look difficult. If that's Jesus calling, please answer it. <laughs> I want to align myself with your will. 
And so he offers sacrifices at this altar that he is incredibly familiar with because he wants to hear from God himself. And I think there is something there for you and I to consider. And it's a, it's a question that we ought to be asking ourselves if we are believers in Christ. And the question is this, what should you do before making a major move in your life? And I think what we can glean from Jacob's actions and decisions uh, is incredibly applicable to us. And I wrote down a couple of things. Jacob was willing to stop, wait, and ask for God's confirmation and direction. I don't want to be out of alignment with your will. He was willing to soak everything in prayer. I'm going to offer sacrifices. God, I want you to speak. I'm going to speak to you. Would you please speak back? He soaked everything in prayer, asking for wisdom and guidance. Jacob surrounded himself with a worshiping community. In this case, it's his sons who have aligned themselves as well with the will of God and who have the ability to speak into Jacob's life. We've been to Egypt. We found your son. We didn't think he was alive. He's prepared a place. We've come back for you. Come with us. Jacob was surrounded by a worshiping community who had the authority and the ability to speak into his life. And he recognized that God opens and closes doors when we seek him. When we are participating in one, two, and three, that God shows up and directs us. And lastly, Jacob knew that when you get clarity from God, you obey. Whatever it is, no matter the circumstances, no matter if it looks like what you thought it should look like or not, you are obedient to God's plan. And so we're going to look at that as we continue to read through this passage together. He gets to Beersheba. He offers sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. There's a history there. Verse 2. And God spoke to Israel. Jacob, remember he changed his name. Same guy. Wrestles with God. Fights alongside me. Changes it to Israel. And in a vision at night, says, Jacob, Jacob. He calls him by name. There's a personal relationship here. Jacob is known by God. God knows his story. Jacob knows God's name. There is a relationship and a friendship here. Jacob, Jacob. And Jacob's response in verse 2 is, here I am. It's the same thing Abraham said when God called him. It's the same thing Moses said when God called him. It's the same thing that Samuel said when God called him. Here I am. It's me. I can't hide from you. Here I am. It's the eighth time that God has spoken to Jacob over the course of his life. God is a communicator. He's always speaking. He wants his people to hear his voice, to know him and to be known by him. It's the eighth time in Jacob's life. And there's this history. Before I make any kind of move, I want to know what my heavenly father thinks about it. Verse 3. God reminds Jacob of who he is. I am God. The word is El. I am strong. I am creator. I am heavenly father. Jacob, I'm reminding you of that. I am El. And then he says, the God of your father. Don't forget that I'm telling a story, Jacob. And it didn't start with you. And it didn't start with your father. And it didn't start with his father. But you're all included in that. 
and your sons are included, and the people who will come from your sons are included, because I have promised a savior for my people. God shows up and he reminds Jacob of who he is. This is who I am. Look around. The famine has put you in a tailspin, but you can count on who I am. El, strong, creator, father. We have a history. Don't forget it. And then he says to Jacob, do not be afraid. The most commanded thing in all of scripture, 365 different iterations of do not be afraid. One for every day of the year. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. I know that I have promised you this land. I have not forgotten my promise. I have a plan for that. But Jacob, I am giving you permission. I am commanding you. I am sending you to Egypt. And Jacob, as he's talking with God, begins to grow in confidence, begins to recognize that this is God's plan for his life. Go down to Egypt. For I will make you into a great nation there. God has already been faithful. He's given him 12 sons. He's given him daughters. He's given him a promise that this uh, people will become a great nation. But apparently, there's something in their story that's necessary for them that God their father, in his goodness and mercy and foresight, is bringing to bear in their lives. Because he is sending them to a place where they will be surrounded by people who despise them. And in this place of provision, God will allow them to maintain their culture, maintain their language, and maintain their worship of him. They won't be tempted by any cultures around them because none of the cultures, the Egyptians, won't talk to them. They want nothing to do. They are detestable. Shepherds, livestock keepers, don't have anything to do with them. Don't marry them, don't talk to them. And this nation surrounded by hostility from all sides, will grow into a people. To the point where when they are set free from the Exodus, later there are millions of them. That God will, his promise is to make them into a great nation. So go down to Egypt. And then God says in verse 4, and this is what I think gave Jacob the confidence to say yes. God says, I will go down to Egypt with you. I will walk with you. I will be present with you. I will protect you. I have promised you this land, but Jacob, I'm telling you that part of my plan is for you and your family to go to Egypt, and so go. And when you go, remember, don't forget, never depart from the fact that I will be with you. And I will surely bring you back again, meaning bring this back to this land. And that didn't happen quite as Jacob imagined it because we learned at the end of chapter 47 that when Jacob dies, he dies in Egypt. But his sons bring him back to the land of his father. And they bury him in the same place that God has provided. I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph, the son that you love, Joseph, his own hand will close your eyes. Meaning that before you die, you will be reunited with your son. And apparently this conversation was all the confirmation that Jacob needed and he immediately set out from Egypt after that. That's it, there's no turning back, that's all I need. I just needed to hear from my father that this was his will, that this was his plan, and now that I've heard that, now that I have clarity, I am obedient and here we go to Egypt because I know that El, 
creator, strong, father God is with me. Verse 5, then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives and the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. And so Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and their possessions they had acquired in Canaan. And Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. No safety nets behind. This is God's plan. We are all in. It's 110%. And here we go to the journey to Egypt. I want to do something this morning that um, we don't do often at Good News. This is pretty common in, in other churches, um, and so we're going we're gonna to practice this. But what I want to do is I want to do a, a congregational responsive reading. And, um, and what that means is, is I'm going to read Scripture, and uh, the words that I read will be in white. And you're going to read words back to me and to one another. And so the, the purpose of this is to Encourage one another as you speak, others around you listening, uh, listen and, and are encouraged by what you say. I know we've never done this before, so um, I'm going to practice. We're going to practice with Psalm 66. So again, I read the white words, and then you read the yellow words back, okay? Following me so far? Okay. Psalm 66, 1 says this. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Okay, that was practice. Now the people, but like the people around you, you, you really want them to hear, to hear your voice. And so we're going to confidently, we're going to say this as best we can. So we're going to practice one more time. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Great, great job. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to read Genesis. We're going to pick back up in verse eight of Genesis 46. I read what's in white. You read what's in yellow. Got it? Here we go. These are the names of the sons of Israel, Jacob and his descendants who went to Egypt. Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob, the sons of Reuben. The sons of Simeon. Confidently. The son of a Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi. The sons of Judah. But, and, had died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Perez. Nice job. Hey, as fun as it is to mispronounce Hebrew names, and I'm glad you read them and not me, the thing that I have learned most recently is I have come to have a great appreciation for the genealogies that are in Scripture. And I, I used to just rush by them, and as I'm reading reading through scripture, come to a chunk of a genealogy and go, you know what? It's just a bunch of names that I don't know how to pronounce. Skip and just pick up with whatever's next. But the thing that I have learned recently and that I've come to really, it's, it's, it's an encouragement to me. When I get to a genealogy, I remember that these are real people. That this is not some story that someone has conjured up. That these are real people. They have a name, and they have a place, and they have a story, and they are included in God's plan. And the reality is, they're all throughout Scripture. If you've been reading through Revelation uh, these past couple of weeks, as we've been using our study and, and meeting together in small groups, you've seen these same names repeated over and over and over again. Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, 
Zebulun, Gad, Asher, Joseph, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali. These are people that God has promised and protected and preserved. That he has a plan, that he is with them, and that whatever God's plan is for their lives will come to pass. So these genealogies are an incredible encouragement. Because if those people have names and those people have stories, then guess what? You have a name and you have a story and you have a purpose in God's plan. And that God, throughout scripture, promises to protect you and to bring that plan to come to pass. And so these genealogies, we can celebrate them and we can mispronounce the names and have fun at the same time. Picking up in verse 26. All those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those who were his direct descendants, not counting his son's wives, numbered 66 persons. With the two sons who had been born to Joseph in Egypt, the members of Jacob's family, which went to Egypt, were 70 in all. So this is a story of 70 people that God has a plan for, that God goes with, that God goes behind and before and to the side of, as God tells his story through their names, through their family. God will make them into a great nation, and from that nation will come a savior and a messiah. It's why our stage is decorated with Christmas decorations right now, because these 70 were preserved and protected and given a place to live in Egypt. All of scripture is one story, and it's God telling his story through the lives of his people. Verse 28. Here comes the reunion. Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. This is the place where Joseph has prepared for his family to live. When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. And Israel said to Joseph, now I am ready to die since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. When fathers and sons who have not seen each other for a long time reunite, it's a tear fest. Just like the video of that Clemson football player Jacob and Joseph, after 22 years of being separated, after 22 years of his brothers making a terrible decision and Joseph being sold into slavery, after 22 years, this father and this son are reunited. We all long for the love of a father. Some of us in this room have had amazing earthly dads. I'm one of them. I have a great dad. He's watching right now. Hey, dad. Others of us go, Strider, I have had the exact opposite. My dad is rotten. And whether your dad falls on one end of the spectrum or the other, one thing is true. They are deeply flawed. And our earthly fathers are meant to point us to a longing for another father, a heavenly father, a worthy father. 
that our earthly fathers tell a story and they represent something. And God uses them, good, bad, ugly, for his purposes. I remember being at a camp in the mountains of North Carolina in 2005. And um, the speaker there gave us a letter. And hopefully when you came in, one of our ushers gave you an envelope. I would love for you to open this envelope. Because this letter, if you need one and you want to grab one, there, I think there's a few in the back. This letter is written from God the Father to his children. And my hope and my prayer all this week has been that maybe for the first time that you would be introduced and meet your heavenly father. Or maybe you walked in here this morning feeling incredibly distant from God. My hope is that you'd be reunited. And maybe you've been walking faithfully with God for decades. And my hope is that you would just be encouraged by what's written on this letter. I would love for us to read this together because this is a letter from your heavenly father to you. It's up on the screen if you'd like to follow along or you'd like to read your copy. But I'm going to read it out loud. The letter says this. My child, I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. I am familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered. For you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being. For you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake. For all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb, and I brought you forth on the day you were born. I am not distant and angry, but am the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you, simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts towards you are as countless as the sand on the seashore and I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you for you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul and I want to show you great and marvelous things. Delight in me and I will give you the desires of your heart. For it is I who gave you those desires. I am able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine. For I am your greatest encourager. I'm also the father who comforts you in your troubles. When you are brokenhearted, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day I will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and I'll take away all the pain you have suffered on the earth. I am your father, and I love you even as I love my son Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you, and to tell you that I am not counting your sins. 
Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I love that I might gain your love. When you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you received me. And nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Love your dad. El Shaddai, Almighty God. This letter, as I mentioned before, is written to believers in Jesus. And that's important. It's important to recognize and remember because there's a common misconception in our culture and our world that everyone is a child of God. And that's simply not what Scripture teaches. In fact, Scripture teaches something much different. Let's look at Colossians 1, 21 together. It says this, Before Christ, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. That before Christ, what Scripture says is we're actually enemies of God because of our evil behavior because of our sinfulness, because of the things that we think and do and say, and because our lives are out of alignment with God's will. And that sin separates us, alienates us, causes us to be enemies of God. And if left to itself, that sin will kill you. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, your sin is meant to bring about death. That's the bad news. And the good news is that God is gracious and merciful. And he actually provides a way to flip the script and change the formula. That God, in his goodness, allows us, is merciful, is gracious, and allows us, adopts us into his family and allows us to be children of God. Listen to what John chapter 1, 12 and 13 says. Yet to all who did receive him, meaning Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. That that's the good news. That Jesus, the Father sent his, un, his one and only son. That Jesus volunteered. And he lived a spotless sinless, perfect life, the kind of life that you and I could never live on our own. And at the end of his life, Jesus was willing to climb on a cross and sacrifice his very self, the payment for our sins, the penalty for our sins, that Jesus traded places with you and I. He took the punishment that you and I deserve. And he says, if you believe in me, you can be a child of God. As we read through this letter, don't you long to know and experience that Father's love for yourself? Won't you simply admit, I'm a sinful person. There's not a day in my life where I haven't done or said or thought something that goes against your law, God. I'm guilty and I'm in big trouble. And Jesus, thank you for providing forgiveness. Thank you for dying on my behalf. And won't you believe in him? And when we say, won't you believe in him, it means to transfer your trust from thinking that you can save yourself and transfer that 
to allowing Jesus to do what you can't for you. And when you do that, God calls you son. When you believe, God calls you daughter. When you believe, God says, you're adopted into my family. And you receive a heavenly father that whether you recognize it or not, you've always longed for. And when you have a heavenly father, every one of those words in that letter is true about you. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you, and to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I love that I might gain your love. And when you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me. And nothing, nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Love your dad. What I most want for us this week is two things. To remember and share our father's love. This letter for me is, um, is something that I've had for 16 years. And I keep a copy of it and I pull it out on occasion and, and read through it again as a reminder. My hope, the thing that I've been praying for this week is that you would be incredibly encouraged, that you would be maybe even reunited with your heavenly father. Why don't you take this letter and, and read it again tonight and just allow the father's love just to wash over you. And this week, why don't you pick it up and why don't you look for something specific that you could really treasure? On Monday, find a line that for the rest of the day, you won't depart from. Find something that you wish the Father would allow you to believe more and experience more as you read through this letter. Because the gospel is something that we must tell. And so if you are experiencing the love of a heavenly father, then you are compelled to share that with others. Not forced, you are compelled. You just can't help it. When you experience the love of a father, and that begins to sink down into the roots of your heart and soul, you have to tell others about it. We are 11 days away from an amazing opportunity to share that with others. Spoiler alert, you know what we're talking about on Christmas Eve? Jesus, obviously. Somebody should have said that. We're talking about John chapter 1. We're actually going to read these verses together. We're going to pray and invite people to become sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. If you know, if you know someone who doesn't know that reality, won't you invite them to be here with us? We've got services at 3 o'clock and 4.30 and 6. And hey, our world has changed and it's totally different. Maybe there's someone that you think, man, I would love for them to hear this, but there's no way that they're going to show up in this room. And I don't want to I don't want to discount what God can do, but at the same time, we want to make things as available to people as possible. And that's why we've been live streaming everything. You can go to our website, goodnewsloves.com, and right on the front page, there's a link, and you click it. You can watch live. So maybe there's someone in your life where God's leading you to, 
why don't you invite them to worship and celebrate with us online, to lean in, to experience the love of the Father just like you have. Verse 31, and then we're going to conclude. Then Joseph said to his brothers in his father's household, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers in my father's household who were living in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds. They tend livestock. And they have brought along their flocks and herds and everything they own. When Pharaoh calls you in and asks, what is your occupation? You should answer, your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on just as our fathers did. Then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Merry Christmas, you detestable people. Joseph, because of his position as second in command in Egypt, prepares a place for his father and his family. And it's such a great reminder that as we remember that we were made for a person, we also remember that we are made for a place. And won't you, won't you treasure that this week? I beg you, remember that. Rest in that. Don't depart from that. And won't you share that same love of a father with someone else this week? Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to know you, talk to you. Thank you for, for writing to us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for not withholding your only son, the only plan for salvation that there is. Jesus, thank you as our big brother for coming, for living a life of 33 years here on earth, the kind of life that we could never live for ourselves, do for ourselves. We can't do anything to save us, save ourselves. Jesus, thank you for being our substitute on the cross. And in that picture, Father, thank you for revealing your love to us. Thank you for allowing us to tangibly know it, experience it, to know your name. Father, help us to believe that the words that you tell us are true. Allow them to sink down deep into the roots of our hearts and minds and souls. And I pray that that reality and that truth would change everything about us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.